Hey, I want to personally, on behalf of our family, thank you for your prayers, for your cards, for those of you who could come to the funeral and those of you who held us close to your heart even though you couldn't come. I thank you so much from the bottom of our heart. I've got to be honest with you, the last several days have been a blur. My sister called me on the next to last day of our vacation. He said, Chuck, our mom has taken a turn for the worse. We left and immediately headed to my sister's home in Tupelo where my mom has been living for the last five years. She had been under hospice care for several months. And when we finally arrived, she was not doing well at all. Last Sunday morning, I took my computer. We went into my mom's room there at my sister's house. I connected to the live stream and we worshiped the Lord. Now my mom was unresponsive, but I've always heard it said and I believe it that the last thing to go in a person's life is their hearing. And so we had a worship service last Sunday morning and I'm sure that my mom in her spirit worshiped the Lord with Joshua and this congregation last Sunday morning. I'm sure that in her spirit, she gave Sam several amens for his sermon on the glory of God. You see, my mom loved Jesus. She loved to worship, she loved to sing, and she loved the word of God. On Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this, this week, we watched as our mom slowly died. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of people die. I've been in a lot of hospital rooms, a lot of families' homes when loved ones have died. And I've seen their lives slowly ebb away. But I have never in my life watched my mama die. I got to be honest with you, it's hard. Her breathing got shallow and it got further and further apart until on July the 5th at 4.45 in the afternoon, she took her last breath. I learned later that my mom died on the same day that her mother died. So yesterday, July the 8th, I preached my mama's funeral. I've never preached my mama's funeral before, I promise you that. As all this was going on, I couldn't help but recall a recurring statement that she kept making to us. It started several months ago, actually, she said, Chuck, I'm ready to go home. Pam, I'm ready to go home. Now, when she talked about going home, she was talking about heaven. And so today, I, I, I want to drop a question in your heart. 
And hopefully through the scripture, I can answer this question today. Can we be sure that we're going to heaven? Can you be sure that you're going to heaven? Can I be sure, could my mom be sure that when she took her last breath that she was going to heaven? Now, there are only two possible answers to this question. Either you can be sure or you can't be sure. I want you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 7. In this chapter, the author of this wonderful book was hammering home the superiority of Jesus' priesthood, of Jesus as a Messiah. And this morning, I want to show you three key reasons out of chapter 7 why true believers can in fact know for certain that they'll go to heaven when they die. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning with verse 11, the Bible says, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. And what tribe is it? Look at verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord Jesus was descended from, from Judah, the tribe of Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priest. And this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, of Jesus, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, there's a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there's bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not with, without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So much more also Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. So the first reason that I believe any person, any believer can know for sure that when they draw their last fleeting breath, that they'll open their eyes in the glorious golden streets of heaven 
is this. Number one, the salvation Jesus promises. Look at verse 22 to 24. So much more. Also, Jesus had become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. Aaron died. All the priests died. They couldn't serve as a priest perpetually. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. God has always related to mankind on the basis of a covenant. Scan through the Old Testament and you will discover that God made covenants with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. In all of these covenants, God made promises that he vowed to keep. The word covenant is used approximately 17 times in the book of Hebrews alone. Simply put, a covenant is a binding agreement. In this case, the merciful and gracious God entered into an agreement with the human race based upon the finished and completed work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples when he instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room? He said this in Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. When Jesus referred to the covenant, he was not referring to the old covenant made with Moses. He was referring to the new covenant that he was making with the human race through his own blood. Now, two aspects of Jesus' promised salvation sticks out to me in these verses. In verse 22, the word, the, the guarantee of his grace, the guarantee of his grace. Verse 22, the word better is used over and over in the book of Hebrews. Jesus has a better name. He offers a better hope, a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifice, better possession, better life. What Jesus provides is flat out better than anything anyone in all of human history could ever offer. Let me tell you, Buddha could not offer what Jesus offered. Mohammed could not offer what Jesus offered. Nobody can compare with what our great high priest offers to those who will believe in him. The next word that jumps out to me in verse 22 is the word guarantee. This word focused on someone who would guarantee that a legal obligation would be carried out. The Lord Jesus guarantees to us, to every believer, 
He guarantees to us that God will fulfill his promises to us. Promises like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. I love that song, by the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish. It's a promise. But receive everlasting life. Promise. And Jesus guarantees to every one of us that God will fulfill his promises to us. God makes another promise to us in Philippians 1, 6. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus promises us that God will finish what he starts in our life. My mom was saved when she was 12 years old. And I tell you, my friend, based upon the guarantee of his grace, I can tell you that God completed his work in, in my mom's life. And he'll complete his work in your life too, if you're a believer. So we see the guarantee of his grace and the permanence of his priesthood. In verses 23 and 24, we notice that Jewish priests were limited by the span of their lives. They died. They died. But Jesus, on the other hand, continually represents believers before the throne of God because of his glorious resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the, his throne on the right hand of God the Father, his priesthood will never end. The true believer can have absolute confidence and assurance that he or she will go to heaven, not because of anything they do, not because of their ability, not because of their merit, but because of the salvation that Jesus promises to them. Listen, you can know that you're heaven bound. I can tell you this, if I were to die on this, on this stage this morning, I'm telling you before my head hits the floor, I'd be with Jesus in heaven. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's a promise. Now listen, there's a second reason you can know you're heaven bound. Not only, not only the salvation Jesus promises, but number two, the service Jesus performs. What is Jesus doing right now? Have you ever thought about that? Do you think Jesus went to heaven and he's just on an eternal vacation? No, absolutely not. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And in verse 25 of chapter 7 of Hebrews, the Bible tells us what he's doing. Look what it says. Therefore, he is able also to save for how long, church? How long? Forever, He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Two things jump out at me in this verse. The resurrected and reigning Lord Jesus Christ is exercising right this moment. His power to save every believer. 
Now, he's not going to save every person who's ever lived on this planet. That's universalism. But he will save any person who comes to God through him, through faith in him. He's exercising his power to save. Because Jesus is our perfect and permanent high priest. He is able to save forever. I love that word, forever. Those who draw near to God through him. His power is unlimited. His life is unending. He's able to save believers eternally. We don't have to do anything to supplement what Jesus has already done for us. There is nothing we could do that would ever add to or take away the finished and completed work of our Savior at the cross and through the resurrection. And let me tell you, the the resurrected and reigning Lord Jesus Christ is not only exercising his power to save, but he is exercising his privilege to intercede for us. When we have an issue in our lives, our Lord presents it to the Father and transmits the powers and blessings of the heavenly realm to support us and to sustain us in those moments, those hard moments. I honestly believe that's what the great high priest was doing for my mom as she was making her way into and through the valley of the shadow of death. He was bringing, Lord Jesus was bringing heaven's power and blessings into her life. I I prayed over her. I said, I said, Lord, please, please let my mom feel your presence. Don't let her be afraid. And I'm telling you, the great high priest was doing for my mama what I couldn't do. I promise you that. So when we have an issue in our lives, the Lord Jesus, our great high priest, takes heaven's blessings and promises and transmits them into our lives so that we can face those difficult moments and not be shaken and not be afraid. But when we sin, and we do sin, don't we? There's not a believer on the face of the planet who does not sin from time to time. The Bible says we have an advocate before the Father. Our advocate's name is Jesus. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, John recorded these words. He said, my little children, he's writing to believers, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. If salvation, if our salvation, if my mom's salvation depended upon her ability to do what only she could do, she would have failed miserably. I would fail miserably. You would fail miserably. Billy Graham would fail miserably. Everybody would fail miserably. We can't save ourselves. 
The good news is that Jesus will not leave you for one split second to deal with the complexities of salvation and life on your own. He is our great eternal high priest. And that is why you can know you're heaven bound. You can know it. Down deep in your heart, you can know it. We can know it because of the salvation Jesus promises and the service Jesus performs. But thirdly, we can know it because of the sacrifice Jesus provided. Now notice in the first two points of this sermon, I I talked about the salvation Jesus promises, present tense. And, And I talked about the service Jesus performs, present tense. But in this third point, I talk about the, the, the sacrifice Jesus provided. That's past tense. I want you to understand, friend, Jesus has only offered one sacrifice for all time for our sins. It happened 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. In verses 26 to 28 of chapter 7, the writer writes this, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Oh, praise God, we have such a high priest as Jesus. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son, the son of God, made perfect forever. The sacrificial system of the old covenant could never deal with the the guilt of the human heart. For God to grant forgiveness for sins a perfect sacrifice was required. You see, God is holy. And God can't simply wink at our sins and and let them slide under the rug or sweep it under the rug. No, let me tell you, sin has to be answered for. Do you remember that when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming there by the river Jordan when he was baptizing so many people. What did he say? Remember what he said? He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me tell you, Moses couldn't do that. Aaron couldn't do that. None of the great great high priests of Israel could ever take away the sin of people. I want you to consider the worthiness of Jesus right here in this text. In verse 26, the Bible says he is holy. He is holy. He is the perfect fulfillment of all that God requires. 
The Bible says in verse 26, he is innocent. That means he's totally blameless. In verse 26, the Bible says he is undefiled. There's not one speck, one speck of sin or darkness in the life of Jesus. In verse 26, it says he is separated from sinners. There's never been a person on the face of this planet like Jesus. He never committed not one single sin. He, verse 26 says he's exalted above the heavens. This speaks of his present position at the right hand of God's, God the Father and God's perfect seal of approval that he placed upon his son when he resurrected him from the dead. And in verse 28, the Bible says he is a son made perfect forever. This speaks of his glory and the continuity of his high priesthood. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 13, John gives us insight into the, the, the perfect priesthood of Jesus and the continuity of his priesthood. John wrote, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. That's the worthiness of Jesus. But I also want you to consider the willingness of Jesus. Look at verse 27. This he did once for all when he offered up himself. Listen, Jesus did not die for your sins because he had to. He died for your sins because he wanted to. He loves you. He loved my mama. He was willing to die for her sin. He wanted to. And he wanted to die for your sins. Can we really be sure that we're going to heaven? Is it just arrogant of us? to assume that of, out of all the people on this planet, that only those who believe in Jesus will go to heaven? My friend, that is not arrogance. That is truth. That is truth. How can we be so sure? Well, we can be sure because of the salvation Jesus promises the service Jesus performs, and the sacrifice that Jesus provided. You really can know that you are heaven bound. My mama knew that she'd go to heaven when she died. Her faith was strong. 
That's why she continually said, Chuck, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I'm sure that many of you have heard your loved ones, your, your dear saintly loved ones, fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers who have lived for the Lord for a long time and they're, they're suffering with a decaying body, with pain, and they're ready to go home. Oh, my friend, I want you to understand that if they have put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they can know, they can know that they're heaven bound. Listen to this verse, 1 John 5, 13. John wrote, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You say, Pastor, how can we know? The Bible says you can know. It's not some preacher standing up here giving some kind of false hope. It's right out of the scripture. You can know that you have eternal life if you have believed in Jesus, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So with this great truth in mind, I must ask you a few questions. Question number one, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for a salvation that will last forever? Have you done that? If you haven't, I want to encourage you, receive Jesus this morning by faith. Second question, have you publicly professed him as your Lord and Savior through believer's baptism? You, you know what? I got thinking about this. If I'm a believer, I wouldn't want to die and go to the heavenly realm of heaven if I had not authentically and biblically professed my faith in him through believer's baptism. Now, baptism doesn't save you. It has nothing to do with your salvation. But the scripture is clear. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our high priest, expects every born-again believer to be baptized after they are truly saved. Not before, but after. Have you done that? If you haven't, I would encourage you to come to one of our staff members in just a moment and say, look, I need to be baptized scripturally. I was baptized before I was genuinely saved. Do you come today? If you want to be saved, you come to one of our staff members. You say, today I want to be saved. I want to receive Jesus by faith. Here's the third question. Are you living for the Lord and seeking to honor him in every aspect of your life? Are you? You say, Pastor, does our great high priest really expect us to live out the rest of our lives 
in a way that would honor and glorify him in a way that would please him in every respect. Yes. Yes. My mom gave strict instructions as to what I was to preach. She wanted me to preach Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, it talks about the great shepherd, the good shepherd and the sheep. What do sheep do? They follow the shepherd. If the shepherd goes right, they go right. If the shepherd goes left, they go left. If they get out of line, he takes the rod and he disciplines them and brings them back in line. If they get in danger, he takes the staff, he puts the hook around their neck and brings them to safety. That's what the good shepherd does. I want you to understand if you're a born again believer, he expects you to live for him, to love him. Listen, whatever you do, whatever you do, when your breath becomes labored like my mom's, when your breath becomes hard and difficult and there's time between each breath, more and more and more until you do not have another breath, I hope and pray, I hope and pray that you will not lean on a hope so salvation, but that you will lean on a no-so salvation. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come, our staff to come. Now remember, if you wanna be saved today, if you wanna know for sure that you'll go to heaven when you die, come to one of our staff members. And we'll help you with that decision. If you want to be baptized, you've not been scripturally baptized. You come and you tell the staff, hey, I need to be baptized. I want to honor my Lord. Or if you're here today and, and you're a believer and, and there are things in your life that you know do not please Jesus. Why don't you come to the altar? and bow humbly in his presence and confess and forsake those sins. Let today be a day of victory in your life. Let me pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the glory of salvation. I thank you, Father, that you have made it crystal clear in Scripture that because Jesus died for our sins on the cross and was raised from the dead so we could be justified and receive the gift of eternal life, we can know that we know that we know that we're saved and we're heaven bound. Oh God, by the power of the Spirit of God, work in this room today, work in our hearts. Have your way in Jesus' name.